you? Good morning, everybody. Good morning. We are back. We are back in business. Bitcoin Q&A. What episode is this? 24. No, that was 24. yesterday. Oh, fuck. 25. 25. <laughs> oh, no. That means Quarter I missed century. one in my lineup. Oh, no. Quarter century. Let go. Exciting. Or if not, if this is episode 24, then shout out the late, great Kobe Bryant. You're right. Um, you're right. 25 for me, 20, almost 20 for you. Well, I did not miss that many episodes. <laughs> I did not miss that many episodes. And on top of that, if Tino will ever edit the reels that I filmed, I'll. Oh, yeah. You got bonus I, extra I, homework. I got, yeah. We got some bonus scenes coming out behind the scenes footage of Bitcoin QA. So if you're watching on zap.stream, I know this is probably a really bad thing to say in carnage. I'm not asking. I don't want to take it away, <laughs> but we're releasing some content on other platforms. Like the one that starts with a Y ends with a tube. We won't say the name of it, but feel free to follow Bitcoin Q&A on that channel. And we're going to be releasing some exclusive content over there. And then of course, give us a follow. Well, on to be... We'll, we'll release that content on zap.stream too, as soon as they have direct video uploads, as soon as that happens. And also I usually post our clips from the Noster handle. So you guys won't miss out. You won't miss out. Make sure you're following our Noster. Yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> Let me send out this stream here. So what's happening in the world today, Q? How you feeling? I hibernated last night. I now understand why bears do this. That felt great. Beyond that, the world feels fairly quiet, despite the fact that our global leaders are calling for World War Three to pick up. Just casual things over there on that front. And then, yeah, like, what's the plan here? Are we leaving the country or what? You can leave the country. I'm thinking about it. I I go back and forth. I may or may not have left Florida, so. At, at this point, at this two point, minutes before the show, Q, don't tell anyone where I live. I don't want anyone to know what state I live in. <laughs> Less than 90 seconds into the show. I left. I'm in Florida. <laughs> no, I said I left Florida. You said you may or may not have left Florida. All right. Let and me you have the exact. Have... You have the exact same background as you had when you were still in Florida. <laughs> exactly. Uh, How yeah. great am I at creating deception? brilliant right i it, i had to find like the actual paint at home depot to get the same paint color as the old uh apartment but we're set man new building new life new systems we're good we're golden i i think we should leave you here as a honeypot for the show like we should talk up how many zaps we get and they're all with you <laughs> you have yeah just a gentle reminder to everyone who's been donating on alex mcshane's personal zap.stream page neither yes. who is truly the the brains behind Tweedledee and Tweedledum over here neither Tino nor myself has seen a, a single sat that has been donated I hate to break it to you but we pay Tino you just don't pay me we, we have been paying Tino yeah I'm sorry to say <laughs> I need a new agent I definitely need yeah. A new agent. yeah you're welcome to renegotiate when the quarter's up here <laughs> Quarter quarters. Uh, quarters we gotta, definitely We gotta bring in some sponsors here. Who would be a sponsor of the show? If we could have if we could have anybody. Dude, Cash App. Would you have 
You should get Cash App to to sponsor Bitcoin Q and A. In exchange for the little improvement that I suggested to them yesterday. No, just Let's see uh, if they're gonna make that too. A little Cash App logo in the bottom right of the screen would be nice. I'm not gonna lie. I feel like there we would really have to censor ourselves a little bit if Cash App sponsored us. They're no, kind of you would have to censor yourself. I wouldn't. Why? There, I don't know. I, I, feel I like affiliate it's a big it's corporation. Similar. Yeah, but They're, you know what I mean. They don't like. Have you I don't. Wanna... They don't associate with a lot of the Bitcoin culture. Like they're not. They're not really steeped in it. They're not really actively. They're like, taking them. They're genuinely taking the Michael Jordan approach, in my opinion. I I don't think it has anything to do beyond the idea that they don't want to alienate one side of the political aisle yes, and make yeah. them think that oh, this is this that's what i'm saying so we'd be a brand risk no you would be a brand risk you would be a brand risk not me (laughs) (laughs) if you have california blood you're in it's just of course it's actually interesting man like the population is becoming less homogenous like we actually have two distinct cultural groups that are becoming bloodlines like most people are what their parents were politically and less than ever democrats republicans are intermarrying like all-time low crossover between those two groups of people so what eventually we're going to have is two warring tribes if we don't already in the united states so you're just talking strictly from like the u.s political lens right not anything beyond that yeah yeah just within the united states first of all Divorce rate's extremely high, but there's not a lot of cross-pollination between these two political parties. And there's not a lot of people thumbing the nose at the parents in the way that they might have in a younger gender. I think I was like, everyone I knew took the opposite stance of their parents growing up. They were like indoctrinated to middle school, high school, and then they just went completely the other way. And that's what happened oh. with me. I'm not sure if that's the case anymore. Like how aligned are your political beliefs with your parents? This isn't... I, I would just, just say empirical, not, not a what, good data set, but I'm just curious. Like I, I definitely differ from my parents. And then my parents tended, my dad and I have disagreements on certain topics. I think overall we see the world in similar ways. My mom will just do what we tell her to do. And it, it's really funny that like we tease her sometimes because her instinct is like a very extreme position and we have to explain to her that's a little too extreme for these reasons and then typically my brother and i are like no just vote for this or do this and then she'd be like okay like that that's my parents political beliefs genuinely my dad and i have like spirited debates and conversations but i want to go back to what you described because i think you're being a little bit intellectually lazy here you described the American teenage experience. Like, oh, everyone's just like adheres to everything their parents say until like they get to high school. And then, you know, they just, they do. No, no. I said, this isn't a data set. I said, this is my experience. This is not, this is not conclusive evidence. I would say, I would actually say what you have described is like literally just rebellionism within a teenager's psyche. Yeah. And and sometimes that comes out through their like, political affiliation sometimes that comes out through their like extracurricular interests or whatever it may be so i don't necessarily think that that what you've described has changed like my girlfriend is the perfect example 
or even like this couple that we spent all weekend with this past weekend at a wedding, like all of them lean a little more to the left, but all of their parents are very much like right-leaning conservative Republican voters. So you still have both a dynamic of people who have grown up and gone in the opposite direction of their parents, or you have a group of people who have conformed and agree with and have aligned with what their parents believe in. I don't think it's... My point is that these sides are more entrenched. Like, it's harder to shake people over to the other side. There's just, there's less crossover there. I think, like, the the gap widens. It's. I would say the way I see it rather than the gap has widened is that we've drawn more lines over more items, topics and beliefs that were not at one point like, Oh, if you believe this, therefore you're on the left because you believe all, you must also believe all the other things that the left believes and vice versa for a singular belief of the right. Like that is where we find ourselves. And I think that's why we see this super polarized divide But I think if you look through it with a more nuanced lens, you do start to actually see, in my opinion, for the first time in a long time within within the left, for example, a growing division. There was already a division probably stemming from 2016, and this is going to hurt a lot of people's ears, where you had two groups of Democrats beginning to form. You had a super, super left progressive Democratic wing headed by Bernie Sanders. And then you have a more traditional corporatist democratic wing headed by the likes of Hillary Clinton and Nancy Pelosi and those types of Democrats, Joe Biden included. So within the democratic party, you already had that division starting in 2016. And then within the Republican, the same communist. Yep. (laughs) To a a degree, I would say, but then on the Republican side, like during the Trump years, you started to see the breakup within the Republican Party, Mitt Romney, and oh my God, I'm forgetting who ran against Obama in 2008. Yeah, it's it's from Arizona, but like you you see that division within the Republican Party as well. I would argue that division has even expanded to a degree, and you're starting to even see like that subset, like the Mitt Romney subset of the Republican Party, and then a new growing yeah. subset of Democrats are turning into a more centrist political party like we're on the precipice of and you're getting and you're getting republicans that are switching independent like that we're actually libertarians that are trying to not a huge contingent but you definitely have people supporting rfk out there yeah i I would say the only thing that would make this really like the only way to really break the two-party system right now and i unfortunately i don't think it happens but if Trump does not Trump win. RFK. No, no, no. It would be if Trump doesn't win the Republican nomination, but then still says, screw it, I'm still going to run. And then you have yeah. four legitimate candidates for president all of a sudden. The two party system would theoretically be broken, well, at least for are you. Are you throwing Joe Biden in there with legitimate candidate? They might steal the election for him. There's no a, way that guy wins. Democratic nominee. I've long been in the camp of, and we're at this moment now, <clears> that <throat> as these national polls start to come out and show that, hey, Joe Biden is losing to Trump, DeSantis, Vivek, Nikki Haley, Everybody. he's losing to every Republican candidate. They're, they won't come out and say, hey, I'm not running. He's going to get really sick. He's going to die. 
He's gonna. Fall <laughs> yeah, he's gonna. He's- I, I'm gonna spend more time with my family. Whatever it may be, there's gonna be an excuse. I actually am. Like, what do you think about the? What do you think about the Michelle theory? It's gonna be Gavin Newsom. Like mm-hmm. I, I think the Michelle theory is is garnering a stronger negative emotional reaction to the anti democratic party, and so as a result, like that, it's a it pisses you off enough to rally you behind a Republican candidate more than sitting back and thinking like, this is someone who's never run for public office that we believe is somehow entrenched in the deep state. And so therefore if they became president, it would be the worst thing to come. Dude, you know, who's more deeply tied to the deep state, Nancy Pelosi's goddamn nephew, Gavin Newsom. (laughs) He is more tied uh, to the deep state than than Michelle Obama is. But you're upset that Michelle Obama might run for president over a guy who's been groomed by the freaking DNC. There's a reason he hasn't spoken up out of line, and that's freaking scary, guys. But sure, let's be more upset about Michelle Obama, who does speak her mind, potentially running for president, over someone who's like a freaking corporate stooge who's groomed by the Democrats and is literally just would be the worst thing to happen to the country and Gavin Newsom becoming president. Oh, I think sure. any of these Democratic nominees would be the worst thing to happen to the country. We've got <clears throat> between Michael, Gavin, and Joe, there's just, there's no good options here. <laughs> Michael. Um, Michelle. <laughs> <laughs> I don't trust any of them, man. I don't know. I don't know what's for the best here. I'm in the shake it up camp, but I also don't believe that these elections are valid and just conclusive evidence of tampering on all sides and it's just it's a shit show so let me ask you this i i don't want to share what i know about your sort of political affiliations but i I will just ask do you don't have any political affiliations i've never voted okay that's what i was more getting to so do you know would you vote let me put it like this who if you were forced to who would you vote for right now that's tough yeah i don't want to say i don't i I wouldn't endorse any of these people i don't trust them of them the only ones that met are vivek and rfk so i have like somewhat follow them more closely i'm like a little bit more interested i had a really good conversation with vivek in which he promised me he would destroy the federal reserve so that got me pretty excited and that's definitely some brownie points but those are just words man these guys will say anything to get elected they're psychopaths it's the same thing with rfk i'm sorry he seems great but his take on the Israeli-Palestine conflict was so trash and such a, a backpedaling of his former anti-warmongering podcast crusade that I was like, dude, fuck this guy. Like that reaction like really blew it for me. I was not happy about that at all. Okay. I want to unpack this because there's a degree where I do think that you have to hold people accountable for what they have said in the past. But at the same time, I think there needs to, we need to afford space for our own political leaders to have room to grow because they are human. And so there's a difference in my opinion between the way RFK is changing his views and someone like Joe Biden, who has gone, been on record saying things like we need to go to war in Iraq. 
We need I to go to you're war. Freezing up, by the way. Am I? I don't know if it's just me. Yeah, you're like really frozen to me. Am I frozen or is it Alex's internet? Because I have perfect okay. internet. It's either oh, it's all good. Internet. Yeah, oh, it's, it's a huge problem. All right. My bad, guys. Continue. So anyway, I'm, I'm going to continue. So you have one candidate who is changing his views. Now, I think there's a degree of forgiveness because when he had certain views, he didn't hold influence. And then on the other side, dude, you could do this with any candidate. And I don't mean to continue to pick on Biden because like I, I voted for Joe Biden. I did. Like you could do this with Biden. You could probably do this with Mitt Romney. You could definitely do this with a Lindsey Graham, Mitch McConnell, like anyone on the aisle and how they have flip-flopped based on what serves their good. Right now, my larger issue is the fact that you have Joe Biden who was on record saying, I support the war in Iraq. I support the war in Afghanistan. Absolutely botches those disasters. And then on top of that, like 20 plus years ago, is on the record talking about how we need to build a border wall and the biggest risk to America is illegal immigration coming in. Meanwhile, because that was Trump's largest talking point, he just has to take the opposite end of the spectrum on that. And then here we are with like a stupidly annoying border crisis. Is it a crisis though? This is just what happens. Like all of these, all of these countries are facing population somewhat collapse or decline issues and to make up it, it helps them offload more inflation and filter out that inflation by letting hordes of new people into the country. I think so, it's a <clears throat> Mike. Yeah. Come on in. Help us soak up some of this money printing, help us fill more jobs and help us sustain the population so that you guys need new houses that we can build here at home. I don't and agree Europe, with that from, from the lens of if you start, if you just start with the question of like, why, why are all these people fleeing their home and coming here? You start to actually realize a lot of it, unfortunately, has to do with our policy that a lot of what you described has actually already happened and already failed, but it specifically happened and failed in their home country. We've pushed forward. We've given them loans and asked them to build certain industries or build out certain infrastructure that ultimately failed, didn't work out, or was corrupted by their local governments. And then all of a sudden, these places are left worse off than when we originally got involved trying to send them some of our debt so that they can without having to come to America and take our resources so that they can use their own resources and continue to enrich our pockets and our country's wealth. And then when we leave this country with nothing, all of these people have no choice other than to get up and leave and find a new home because we've either strengthened the most extremist groups in their region or we've completely destroyed all of this region's natural resources and left the local communities with nothing to do. And we've held, we've ruined their currency. That, that goes back to like when we issue them. That goes back to like when we issue them debt in our own currency and force them to take on this debt and build the projects that we tell them to, not the projects that they're asking to build. It creates this like negative feedback loop, and no one wants to have that difficult right. conversation around immigration. No, and people no one, like no one wants to ask. Lose- like, why does everyone from Nicaragua want to leave Nicaragua? Why does everyone from Guatemala? Because when you talk to these people. And I'm willing to bet a lot of the loudest voices in the room about immigration have never sat down and spoken to them. I have. It's like a different, it doesn't ultimately matter why they're leaving. Like, no, it 
It does, dude. It so does. No, they're at home. They're facing like ridiculous inflation. These people are living like five people to a house, sometimes a hundred dollars a month. There's no more market where they live locally to build anything. There's no construction jobs because their economy is so ravaged by inflation and their currency is so weak that no one's willing to invest in these places anymore. Right. But again, it goes back to why, what happened to allow these things to happen? And it always goes we back meddled. to some, some sort of meddling, some sort of loan that came from either the U.S. directly, a U.S. company or the IMF that just destroyed this country's economy. Like we are reaping the rewards of our actions taken in domestic and foreign meddling in other countries economic affairs and every fair, you see it from other like major countries too if you go to el salvador the majority of the construction sites you'll see are actually chinese investment this is happens across africa too dude i so i was working with my dad a little bit earlier this year doing some remodeling and having lunch with some of the other workers they're all immigrants from el salvador couple of them are like straight up illegal immigrants and we were talking like, how'd you get in, et cetera. And I was like, how long are you guys trying to stay here? What is your goal, et cetera? Dude, it's the same story every time. And this is why I'm so freaking sick of it. They're all sending money back home and they all just want to go home. They're not coming here to take your home away or your job away. We did that to them already, and they just want to fix their home and be left the fuck alone. That's why it's deplorable when you hear yeah, but like, there. Yes, there are terrorists coming in. Yes, there are the worst of the worst coming in. But I'm well, so I'm not saying that. I'm just I'm not even interested in. There just there needs to be a system. You can't just have people marching into a country. With no accountability really? for who wait, they are. Wait, what what system was in place in the 1600s when the pilgrims came here? What system was in place in the 1700s when the if Irish? If we're gonna have this farce of government and states power, then we have to. If they want to uphold this illusion of a state, then you have to have a system there. Otherwise, it just looks like chaos. It reads badly. Like I'm thinking adversarially from their point of view. Like American citizens are going through more. <laughs> more surveillance to get into their own country than these people that's backwards don't you think we would benefit better from being able to help and communicate with and have some kind of system i think the only, the only reason there is this increased surveillance for americans to come in is because we started to create regulatory moats around inflation over 150 years ago and as a result these regulatory moats have gotten larger tighter and more difficult and it's never more tighter and more difficult for the people who are breaking the laws. It's always more difficult for the people who adhere and uphold the laws. And it's also it's like a one-way function since 9-11. These, like these extra protocols when you're traveling, they don't actually stop. It's very negligible, the amount of kind of violent crime or terrorist activity that, they, that they've weeded out and stopped. But because of the inflation, like the largesse of this like monster of fiat inflation you're never going to be able to disband these departments and these hundreds of thousands of employees that you've hired for extra tsa for example there it's just it's a great way to filter this inflation down yeah i just i will always go back to this idea Wait, that... so you're advocating for an open border or are you just playing devil's advocate i'm I don't agree that our immigration policy, I think that our immigration policy is 
the root of why there are so many issues and why people are taking the illegal immigration route. Dude, my grandmother would probably be alive today if we didn't have such strict immigration policies. And this is like before 9-11, she was trying to come and visit America. So I've long not been a fan of our legal policy to begin with. And the more I learn and study about the way we have treated different business sectors, the best example of the regulatory moat pushes Standard Oil, creating all these regulatory modes and making it impossible for new oil companies to come up. Then you had Daniel K. Ludwig from The Invisible Billionaire and his shipping conglomerate and empire. And then he created regulatory modes behind himself to prevent the next generation of large, large I'm shippers. I'm kind of lost how this answers the question. Do you believe in open borders or not? What do you think should happen here? Is this not a crisis at all in your mind? Uh, just thinking from the perspective of the state, not you as an individual, but you're a nation state. Do you just let people flood your economy? That seems to be you can't because of where we're at right now. You can't. But the truth is, but they are. What right. do you mean? No, you can't have open borders right now. Like you can't. So no, I, I don't. Do. No, we don't. We, we do. Don't. What are you talking about? We have millions of people no. walking this is, over the this border. Is, no, this is the hyperbole. This is the hyperbole. This is you are. You're you saying are, it's sensationalized. It's not real. Yes. It's people yes, streaming over the. Yes. Records are being set and we have more people coming over, but that does not mean that our border is like literally open and anyone can come as they see fit. People are finding but the physically. Loophole. Right, right, right. People they're are they're the loopholes. It's largely protected. I don't know. I spent a lot of time near the border and yeah, there are definitely security mechanisms in place, but it's not hard. Like there are literally tens of thousands of people entering the United States with no due process. I know. Is that not an open border? I don't know. I think, okay. I agree with you where it's okay. Sealing it is unrealistic. There's just, there's a, there's another question just genuinely to ask here. And uh -huh. again, these people are coming from very mineral rich regions of the world. Okay. And we see this whole conversation around, oh, well, you don't want to disrupt local ecosystems, green that, green this. But we're letting these people leave mineral rich regions of the world. Wait, what do you mean letting them tin, leave? Tinfoil hat. Because we have this open border and we're not stopping them from leaving. We're not preventing them from coming in. We are, in essence, allowing them the a route out of there. And like my tinfoil hat going on for a second, I think it has more to do with this idea that if we actually depopulate some of these regions, then our American corporations have a much easier justification to go in and say, hey, we found a bunch of lithium in this part of Guatemala. And we want to open up a lithium mine. And you know what? They're, they're, at this point, there's only 500 people left in this region that'll be impacted. And we'll pay for, to have them moved and we'll relocate them very so generously. It, it sounds like you'd agree then that the, the incentives here are with the big corporations and the politicians and not with the people who no. these elected people these are, politicians. They're not looking people, out for us at all. No, these people, the people who are fleeing, they're like, these are... There's something lost and it, it comes from, I think, a, a lack of understanding of other cultures when people are like, these people are leaving their homes. And they're coming to my home, bro. Dude, when you talk to most of these people, they, they're not happy that they're leaving. These are places where their family has lived for I generations. don't know why you're telling me this. Yeah, I've been to these you know, places. I'm not, I'm not saying this to you. It's a more broad. Yeah. This is for our audience more than anything of like, 
most of these people who leave, like they cherish their homeland. They look forward to the day where they can return to their homeland. And we don't want to stop and ask, so why are they leaving? And it's because we have forced them to. We as America have ruined so many other parts of the world. And oh my God, I'm anti-American. Well, okay, cool. These are hard realities that you don't have a valid answer to. And I feel if you don't like what I have to say, feel free. Shoot me a DM on Nostra. Shoot me a DM on Twitter. Leave us comments wherever. I don't care. But genuinely. So how are we going to solve the impending migrant crisis from Israel and Palestine? <laughs> we want to move to that next. No, but it's crazy. I mean, this is, it's just another example. It underlines what you said. This is, it's policy. These are stations or groups of people that we have meddled in creating a 51st state. It's literally policy errors that have happened by people who are no way, in no way impacted or affected by any of these decisions happening, who are... They're impacted to the upside. The upside of the the military-industrial complex, like, eclipses all ethical considerations. You know what I mean? They're they're buying Lockheed and Martin. (laughs) Yeah. Did you see the unusual Wales tweet where it was like, these are all of the Congress people who have benefited from the Israel-Palestine war over the last two weeks. And it's like Tommy Tupper, like three, three Republicans have outsized gains. Then Nancy Pelosi comes in at number four, but it's these people are so full of shit, man. They don't believe 90% of what they say because half of their portfolio is just Lockheed Martin and oil. Interesting question for you. New topic. Do you think that congressmen should have, the ability to trade public private equity or how do you think this should be regulated no i i think the best thing they could do genuinely congressional members are allocated a maximum amount of three different etfs okay so it's a broad basket that they can only have exposure to and then mm-hmm. to give them three means and then their either- kpi is just the economy at large exactly and and so then look you can be hyper focused like look, I come from the energy world. I'm a Texas congressional member. Like I promise my constituents, I'm going to work and help making the oil and gas industry have more opportunities or whatever. And you know what? I want my exposure to be like, A, I'll just buy some SPY or have broader economy exposure. And then two more ETFs that are focused on oil and focused on gas so that it's a reflection of my work. I'm invested in my work. That to me, because then you can't, you still open the door. They, for- like they get to pick the ETFs or they're pre-assigned they would, to them based they on would, their... They could select the ETFs and then you do open the door for, okay, you know what? Exxon is in these two ETFs and Exxon knows, hey, this congressional member is has exposure in their three ETFs, our company, so it behooves us to benefit. There still is going to be that aspect of it. To me, this is the best middle ground because the idea of getting rid of lobbyists ain't happening anytime soon. The idea of, oh, we're going to have term limits in Congress, that's not happening anytime soon. Oh, they just need to be, all their money needs to be held in a trust. That is realistic. But again, you are asking people to make rules for themselves and that is not going to happen. So the, in my opinion, the best middle ground is only, instead of allowing them to buy any individual companies or any individual stocks, they can only invest in a basket, some sort of an ETF, and it has to be publicized and they cannot buy or sell during their tenure. All right. You are in for the ride that you cause in the industry that you claim to be an expert in or that you want to help. 
Oh. Zoe's bothering me for food. Pardon the interruption. Hello, Papa. She's jumping on me so she gets to be on the show. What do you think, Zoe? Which ETF do you want, Zoe? Um, she gets some sort of a meat ETF. She's really on this carnivore like, kick thing. Like, think about it. if Cynthia, like Cynthia Lummis, she might do one SP five hundred, one energy type of ETF, and then the WGMI or some sort of Bitcoin ETF. Like, I, I don't know, man. I think it's got to be almost all or nothing because it you can be like. Pay them more and not allow them to, but they'll still find ways and to trade offshore. Pay them more? Like this. You want to pay members of Congress more money? If they Remember can't that? trade at all, if they're barred from trading, I don't know. I don't know what the solution is here. I think the ETF proposal is uh, interesting, but I, I don't see how that would prevent them from just completely manipulating that market and no, holding it hostage. Wouldn't. It wouldn't like you could theoretically open the door then for the companies who create the ETFs to then become like the largest contributors to political campaigns. Like there's still, it goes back. There are three fundamental issues that are really at the core. And this is almost to me, like the whole, like, Oh, should congressional members have the right to invest in stocks? That's a misdirection. That avoids the three real issues in Congress, which is there are no term limits, okay? There is no, this uncapped spending spree, both internally when congressional members themselves vote if they get a raise or not. Like, how many raises would you have given yourself, Alex, if you were entrusted to vote for a raise for yourself? Would you give yourself a raise every single time? That's why I'm hopeless on this stuff, man. The incentives are just, there's no way for them to align with the people. You can't have, I can't have someone else representing my beliefs. It doesn't work. <laughs> Wait, I, I want to finish up my three points. So I've established uh -huh. it's term limits. It's the fact okay. that they're spending both their budgets and then their own salaries is uncapped. And then the, the whole lobbying mechanism that we see in our political system, these three things if we were to solve these three issues, you wouldn't even have to worry about congressional members buying stocks because it, it wouldn't matter. But there's no solve. There's only trade-offs here. So what do you mean? You know, I think Introduce term limits. Introduce a new budgeting system. Oh, I like this little like. Whoa, what is that? What, did that? what is that? What is that? What just popped up on screen? Thumbs up. I did a thumbs up and it gave me a thumbs up. What the hell is this? You're not I cool. I don't get one. All right. Second class streamer here. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I want to see something now. Let's see if this works. Oh, it does work. That's so cool. Oh, man. <laughs> what a nerd. AI. I wonder, it might not be restream. It might just be my iPhone. That might be why. Oh, yeah. It's definitely your phone. Yeah, that makes sense. Remember, yesterday I did it too, where like I had the balloons at the end of the stream. That, yeah, what was, did you say congratulations or something? Congratulations. <laughs> Happy birthday. We're going to look back in time. This is going to be like that. Have you ever seen the, the first episode ever of the Joe Rogan experience? Uh, it's so bad. Yeah, but I highly, it's, it's hilarious. They're on like a Zoom thing. They're playing with all the virtual features, virtual snow. This is going to be that in, in, in 10 or 20 years. Yeah. Maybe <laughs> so, I've got a couple of questions we could dive into if you're ready. All right, let's do it.
we went down the weeds on politics after discussing oh, yeah. promising yeah. that we wouldn't do that. Complete throwaway episode. Yeah, let's go. How do Bitcoin transactions provide transparency maintaining user pseudonymity? Everything, every transaction is able to be viewed on a public ledger. And unless who actually holds that UTXO, you remain pseudo anonymous, but because there are so many ways to actually have to disclose who you are, it is not impossible to find out who owns a certain UTXO. In fact, it probably like this whole business is built around doxing yeah. people. Like I, I, I saw one girl who has a whole business where like she's considered an expert at unmixing mixed coins. So even if you've gone through a mixer, if someone hires her business, she could theoretically find you. I could find you if you used Wasabi <laughs> as opposed to uh, Whirlpool. Yeah, there's, <laughs> have you mixed before Q? used a mixer before i will not dox it no he's never used one all right no i have i just want to up on a mix <laughs> no i i have i don't want to dox which one that i've used oh, okay because i don't There's want someone a, to have too much free time and go and find my utxos that your singular receive address that well, you've been sending no i haven't keep kept you updated but at this point now i have about 87 um 100 utxos wow a couple of them just have one sat. Um, yeah, that's gonna be that's gonna be expensive, and those coins are never gonna be able to move. Yeah. What are we at anyway? We've got four sats per byte, five sats per virtual byte for transaction fees. Not bad. Not a bad time to do some UTXO management. Gotta say, things are looking sweet on chain. Okay, so to answer the question, the protocol's transparent insofar that it's a public ledger, and you've got auditability there that that's like a core that's got to be top five features that what makes the whole protocol better than anything like a fiat currency when you're comparing like we can't even get a straight answer really on unfunded liabilities in the u.s how many dollars there are you know some of these things some of these numbers like claim to be uh transparent but like the real calculus of all the different layers, M1, M2, M3 of money is um it's out there, man. You can't get a straight, you can't get a straight answer on how many dollars are printed in kind of circulation even digitally at any given time. It expands, it contracts. With Bitcoin, it's a pretty it's a pretty simple formula that you can run on your own. You can run the numbers on your node at home, which gives you like the most transparent yet robust monetary policy of any money on the planet which is a beautiful thing now how does it protect your identity as a user it really doesn't other than on the base layer there's no room for identity like your there's no like the protocol is agnostic to who you are which is great so that is huge in the way of censorship it's also agnostic to jurisdictions so you can use bitcoin anywhere you have an internet connection um peer-to-peer -peer. you don't even actually have to have an internet connection to use it excuse me you can use bearer instruments pass bitcoin along the old sneaker net the problem is that people for the sake of convenience 
make trade-offs that deterministically is that the right word maybe probabilistically link their identity to their stack and they have missteps in utxo management or perhaps there, there were no steps at all to obscure who they are maybe they're purchasing directly from swan and sending it to a hot wallet on their phone or like a cold wallet but you've got this kind of one way arrow pointing from the kyc services at swan bitcoin straight to your wallet that's not a knock on swan i'm just saying there's uh there's trade-offs there to using kyc at exchanges i can't remember where swan ranked i remember when strike came out it was the absolute worst for kyc i had to send a picture like a hostage i had to send a picture with a note and my id i had to hold all these things up and take a selfie of myself to get approved to use strike when it first came out I'm sure their process has to have improved since then. That was like three years ago. No, it got worse. Honestly, it became more cumbersome. How did it, how could it get worse than that? Uh, dude, I try, I remember because I tried to get my dad on strike to start buying Bitcoin. And then he was like complaining. He's like, dude, there's too many steps. There has to be an easier app to use than strike. And it was just like way too many steps. That's sad to hear, but that's what happens with companies. So you're working. You Regulatory have to capture, comply. man. Yeah, regulatory capture. And then the people who pass the bit license go on to have careers in Bitcoin and crypto companies advising them how to either circumvent or get approval. It's very expensive. It's a nice, it's a nice, it's a nice gig. Dude, what a great con that we've all fallen for. I don't know. I keep my options open, man. I think the key here, if you want to maintain user pseudonymity and plausible deniability is to diversify where you get your Bitcoin from. I think it's important to get peer to peer mine. If you can, I'm always ranting and raving about BISC and RoboSats and Azteco. Some of my favorites, HODL HODL, Peach. There's a lot of ways to get Bitcoin without such a blatant tag of your identity on it. And then you can go further and mix. This was interesting. I'd love to hear more about this from Snowden, but this is what he talked about in Amsterdam, how it's like, we're not winning by forcing users to learn how to mix and go through this really complicated steps to sidestep identity and have privacy. He's like, we're on the back foot here. Um, instead, this should be the norm and we should stop asking for permission and it should be easier and simpler and it shouldn't even be a question whether you're using these tools not to obfuscate, but it, like we're at a place in society where like the vast majority of people don't think twice about making this trade off. And actually they're of the mindset that you have something to hide or you want privacy or pseudonymity, anonymity. Oh, you must be a criminal. You must be doing something wrong. The best kind of analogy and quote about that I can think, I, th I think it's also from Snowden is arguing that uh, you don't need privacy because you have nothing to hide is like saying you don't need free speech because you don't have anything to say. I don't think I butchered that, but you get the point. This is a very, <clears throat> I won't say it's a human right because human rights are a dicey, complicated subject in its own, but I think it's very important for people to advocate for their own pseudonymity and privacy and to just reconsider this trade-off. I also agree with Dan Held that it's like the majority of people are not going to do that. They're going to use totally captured services and they're not going to self-custody their Bitcoin. And on some fronts, unless we can really get some nice competitive solutions out there quickly, they're going to help us scale in a way that's simple and obfuscates away the more 
kind of complicated parts of Bitcoin that have a higher learning curve. Yeah, we're looking at a pretty captured uh, market in some ways, unfortunately. It does seem that the institutions and banks are, are going to be holding a lot of this on behalf of people. Yeah, I think the question that I go back to, and I know this triggers a lot of Bitcoiners. So if you are in the class of people who are triggered, tough shit, motherfucker, but listen up. Look, they being the government, they may never be able to fully destroy Bitcoin. They may never be able to shut it off. We've seen China ban Bitcoin multiple times and that's never worked out. And China is a far stricter, far more surveilled state than the US is. So the fact that Bitcoin continues on in China, mm -hmm. sure, but like the fact that it goes on in China should be a nod to Americans who have that fear that it, it's irrelevant. But what America uh, and specifically the American government and Western governments in general can and will, in my opinion, do is they will regulate the hell out of Bitcoin, out of any Bitcoin tangential businesses, and they will make mm -hmm. it so difficult to purchase Bitcoin, so difficult to transact Bitcoin, use it, they'll tax it, incentive, <clears throat> they'll do whatever they can to disincentivize you from going out and buying Bitcoin. That's what they can, and that's what they will do. But they won't outright ban it. It's just too big of an industry at this point. But yeah, that's another good reason to stack early and often. It's not about the price appreciation. It's about this only becomes more scarce, and access to it might get dicey. And you just wanna you just wanna collect the Bitcoin when times are good, and it's super easy. And almost anywhere you turn, like there's more services than I can even name for you to pick up some Bitcoin and more people in the space willing to sell it to you. Actually, on a, a larger scale, that's actually not true. They're, 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 people just simply aren't selling Bitcoin. We're Wait, just yeah. getting enough inflows to maintain the price here. But I guess we did go with a big price pump thumbnail. We got to address it. 28, 28, 5, 6, 7. What did we hit? 28, 8. Can it be a price pump, though, if the price hasn't really moved in 24 hours? Yeah, because it's the highest price we've hit in two months. It's total crowd market jumping between two very kind of obvious levels. It's uh, it's like whale games all over again. I'm not really concerned about it, man. I think you're getting a lot of people getting pretty excited about this ETF and making some insane calls. Like I heard like 50 trillion market cap yesterday in the next four years. I, I won't say who said that, but pretty, uh, pretty bullish. They got you talking there. about it, right? They got me talking about it because I'm like, dude, you're crazy. There, It's also like, you look at the cycles. I'm a big cycle theory guy, but you have to admit that we're not in an environment we've been in before. In like 40, 50 years at large. No one can say what's going to happen. This is a really weird place to be. You've got half the country saying we're in a recession. The reality is like, oh, this has actually been a pretty bullish year things are going quite well super high interest rates and everyone's basically making bets on how that's going to play out but i don't know man i think it's more sideways action a little sum up some down but i'm just sticking with that six to 18 months after the halving is when it really starts to take off but i don't think i think 100k and then you see the price fall back down 
I don't think we were talking about this before the show. I hate to be a bear, but I don't think you see this runaway super cycle. And I think that the kegger of Bitcoin over time gets smaller, not larger. It's going to be huge. It's going to be epic for people who have bought Bitcoin already, but it's not really the reason I'm here. And it's not, I don't think it's realistic to say we're going to get four or five X every halving for the forever. I think that volatility smooths out. And in some ways, that's a good thing. It's good for adoption. It's good for people living in Venezuela that have bills denominated in dollars to pay tomorrow and they need something stable. Those people aren't using Bitcoin. Okay. They're using like Tether. They're using like USD. They're using stable coins over Tron because it's cheaper than using them over Ethereum. And I know these are like terrible <laughs> shitcoin captured protocols, but they do seem to have tapped into something that the market wants, which is like digital assets to dollars and stable coins on the cheap, because it's just, it comes from a weird place to tell people that they should be interested in Bitcoin too, when they don't even, they, they have a couple bucks to get through the month. Like they, there's no opportunity for long-term savings for them. I'm sorry. You can tell them try harder, <laughs> save harder, but they're not going to see it. They don't see it. That's not a solution to one of their problems. Their problem is I got to pay this bill. I need my dollar to hold its value. I need my, I need to get out of this local currency as quickly as possible. Yeah. But I mean, that comes, I think with just where they are situated and located more than anything else. Yeah. Yeah. Let's hop to the next question here. All right. How, How does the, oh, you want to read it? How does the difficulty adjustment process ensure consistent block discovery times? I would use a consistent in air quotes. It's a pretty wide range. Yeah. The short answer is depending on how quickly the blocks are mined, found, however you want to phrase it, the difficulty will adjust either upward to make it more difficult because as the hash rate, go, hash rate goes up and there are more miners online, it tends to be that the block rewards happen faster versus when there are periods where miners have to shut down. You unfortunately see in those moments the hash rate decline, and then it sometimes can take longer for a block reward to be found or a block to be mined. And then as a result, the difficulty adjusts downward to try to maintain within this 10-minute range. But I think historically, if you look at it, it like its average time is like nine minutes and 40 seconds over the lifetime of every single Bitcoin. Oh, really? Yeah. It's not actually 10 minutes, but that is where it's supposed to trend towards. If you're a statistics nerd like I am, and you've heard of phrases like reversion to the mean, think of the 10 minute mark as the mean for block mm -hmm. times or block reward times. And then as each interval between a difficulty adjustment shifts away from that mean, the difficulty will adjust to try and blink bring the time as close to the 10 minute marker as possible. Right. So we have these like roughly two week epochs of different difficulties for the miners. I, it's crazy how well these arbitrary metrics worked out. That's what blows my mind about Bitcoin. Those standards still hold like completely super multi-billion dollar industry built around it. And it's just TikTok next block. If we had an average nine minute block time until the halving, it would move the halving up to April 5th, 
if we get down to, or all the way up to 11, it pushes the halving all the way to mid-May of 2024. So that's the fun of it for Bitcoiners. We don't know when this is going to occur. And for miners as well, 10 minute block time puts the halving at April 24th, 2024 today. So exciting, fun to pay attention to, super pertinent if you're a miner, super pertinent if you're a non-miner, but uh, yeah. I don't know. We've had a pretty consistent block discovery times, but weird things happen. Sometimes you get two blocks in a row within a couple minutes. Sometimes it takes a better part of a day to mine a block. That's the interesting thing about sending transactions on the main chain. Um, and I think more and more lightning obfuscates this kind of stuff away from a lot of users. And in the future, that will only increase. It's only going to get more expensive to settle your transaction on the main chain. And that's going to be that block space is scarce. So it's going to be reserved for people who are willing to pay higher fees for it. So it's going to price out users at some point. It does that already. Think of you looking at the mempool at a place of super high fees and being just a little bit disincentivized to maybe do that extra transaction you were going to do or to do UTXO management. That is you being priced out of the block space on main chain. Just imagine that as we grow, as institutions start playing and the amount of fees that they can pay compared to us clubs, it's a good time to get us where you need the uh, main chain settlement while we have it until we come up with something yeah. else. It'll always be there to be well, clear. It's just make it so competitive. While you could still access it easily without having to wait in an insane amount of time or paying an uh, insane fee. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Final question. I was going to say, should we wrap this? Cause we are at the hour. Oh yeah. We can wrap it. We'll, uh, we'll save it for tomorrow here. Good rip going deep in the weeds on politics. Some other fun aspects of being a Bitcoiner. Eternally frustrated with the system and on the outside of it. Cool. Adios.